In the early chapters of Matthew, uh, as we read about the birth of Jesus, you may have noticed that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah was quoted three to four times, three times in the first four chapters. Isaiah lived roughly 700 years before Christ Jesus was born. And he wrote a lot about the birth and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Almost a third of all the chapters that Isaiah wrote contain prophecies about Jesus Christ. He wrote more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than any other Old Testament prophet. And so there's a lot that we can learn from Isaiah on how to celebrate this Advent season, which is why uh, we have picked uh, the book of Isaiah to do a short sermon series through all the four uh, weeks of Advent. They've titled the sermon series, The Arrival. Today is the, is the first Sunday of Advent. World over, uh, followers of Jesus used the four Sundays before Christmas as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of Christmas and the return of Christ Jesus at his second coming. In Advent, we, we're not really waiting for Jesus Christ to be born, but we are remembering how the world waited for century after century after century for the Savior to be born. And of course, Advent is also an expression of our longing for the second coming of Christ. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different uh, portions of the book of Isaiah, which anticipate both the birth and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Uh, I've requested Kia to read it out for us. The verses are going to come up on, on screen as well. Um, uh, over to you, Kia. Remove to unmute yourself as you read this passage for us. Thank you. Thanks, Anand. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of his glory. And the voices of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy 
and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is God's word. Thank you, Kia. Um, let me pray for us. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, as we um, begin the Advent season this year, we pray that you would give every one of us a fresh revelation of Christ Jesus because it is only in Jesus that we can find eternal joy. And, oh, Lord, you know that how each and every one of our hearts need this eternal joy in our hearts today. So help us, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into every one of us, that we would receive this revelation of Christ, this new vision of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The second part of the passage that we read is quite challenging. Look at the verses on screen, verse 9 and 10. God is telling Isaiah, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. After a spectacular encounter, where God saw Isaiah in all his glory, God is now sending Isaiah the prophet to a people who will hear but not understand. God is sending Isaiah to a people who will see but not perceive. God is sending Isaiah to preach good news to a people who are going to reject it. God knows this. God knows the people are going to reject him. And yet he is sending Isaiah to this very rejection. This is quite challenging to understand, isn't it? It's challenging, but it is very real. And it's very relevant in every one of our lives today. Haven't we all shared the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have rejected it? Many of us, we have experienced this very rejection that Isaiah is about to experience. Even if we haven't experienced this rejection, uh, perhaps one of the reasons we don't share the gospel often enough uh, with our friends who don't yet know Jesus is because we fear this rejection. This is a pretty strong and deep-rooted fear for many of us. And so this passage is extremely relevant to us. And I'm hoping, by God's grace, to equip us a little bit to face such rejection. And so this is the goal of uh, this sermon today. To equip ourselves to share about Jesus Christ, even in the face of rejection. And to do that, I want to draw three things from the passage we just looked at. First, behold his glory. Second, be broken by his glory. And third, the grace to rise above rejection. Behold his glory, be broken by his glory, 
and the grace to rise above rejection. Let's look at the first thing. Behold his glory. Isaiah had a spectacular encounter with God. If I had to pick some of the top encounters that men have had with God, this has to be among the top three. Moses had a couple of spectacular encounters with God. John, in the book of Revelation, had a remarkable encounter with Jesus Christ as the judge. And Isaiah here has this incredible vision of God seated on his throne in heaven. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And as he saw this vision, he, he heard the seraphim or, or heavenly creatures who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is a spectacular revelation of God in all of his holiness and in all of his glory. Straight up. I'd like to show us something that is remarkable about this revelation of God that Isaiah had. And this is also the reason that I picked this passage as the first one to preach on the first Sunday of Advent from the book of Isaiah. And here's what I want to help us see. The vision that Isaiah had was a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. It was the pre-incarnate Christ that Isaiah saw sitting on the throne high and lifted up in his vision. Isaiah saw Jesus 700 years before Jesus was born incarnate through Mary's womb. Let me establish this biblically first before I go any ahead. Turn with me to John chapter 2 verses 37 to 41. It's going to come up for us on the screen. This is John, the disciple of Jesus, writing. Verse 37. Though he, that is Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Does this kind of remind you of, of the passage we just read in Isaiah chapter 6. Hang on, let's, let's read some more. Verse 39 in the same chapter in John. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Verses 39 and 40 in John chapter 12 are an exact quote from the passage we're looking at today from Isaiah chapter 6. But hang on, look at this verse, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. In quoting Isaiah chapter 6, John is telling us that the the vision that Isaiah saw was a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ himself. Just consider John chapter 12, the passage in John chapter 12 we're looking at. Verse 37 is talking about Jesus. They, they, they saw all the miracles that Jesus did, but they do not believe him. And verse 39 and 40 are a direct reference to Isaiah 6, where he sees a vision of God and God tells him, I'm sending you to a people who are going to hear and not believe. And then verse 
41 tells us that Isaiah saw the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ. D.A. Carson, um, a very well-known theologian in his commentary on the Gospel of John, explains it this way. John, the disciple of Jesus, is unambiguously tying, connecting Jesus to Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the Almighty. And D.A. Carson says, Isaiah saw Jesus in some pre-incarnate fashion. Jesus was born as a human being on Christmas Day, but Jesus has existed from forever. He has existed eternally before he was born out of Mary's womb. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, in the very beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Isaiah, in the passage that we read, has a spectacular vision of the pre-incarnate Christ in all his glory and holiness and splendor. And guess what happened to Isaiah? What happened to Isaiah when he beheld Christ in all his glory. Isaiah was undone. And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. Be broken by his glory. Isaiah was broken when he saw the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ. Look at verse 5. And Isaiah said, Woe is me! Woe's me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The word lost, when Isaiah says, I am lost in this, in this verse, the word lost is actually translated as the word undone. I am undone. Uh, R.C. Sproul, who's another well-known Reformed theologian, he puts it this way. The word undone means to come apart at the seams, to disintegrate, to be broken. When Isaiah saw the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ, he was undone. Isaiah is broken by the glory of God, broken in a good way. Just as you and I ought to be undone every time we contemplate on the glory of God. But sadly, we have all lost at least some of the reverence for God in the busyness of our everyday pursuits here on this temporary earth. Sadly, we have all, myself first, we have all become so comfortable in our sin patterns that we have forgotten the beauty and the joy and the freedom and the grace of being undone in the presence of this holy God. We cannot come to true and deep repentance unless we are indeed broken in the presence of God's infinite holiness. 
Isaiah here is undone. And he cries out, woe is me. Woe is me. This is a remarkable thing for Isaiah to say. Woe is me. It's completely, it's absolutely remarkable. In the previous chapter, which is chapter 5, Isaiah, at God's behest, actually pronounced six woes on the people of Israel for their sin and rebellion. Let me quickly read them out for us. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house and add field to field. Basically, woe to those who are busy selfishly accumulating wealth. Chapter 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cards of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. Chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Verse 21 again. Woe to those who are wise in their and shrewd in their own sight. Chapter 5, verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Isaiah, called by God, is pronouncing six woes on the people of Israel in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, Isaiah is justly and rightly saying, at God's behest, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you to the people of Israel. But in chapter 6, when he comes face to face with the pre-incarnate Christ, he cries out, woe is me. Isaiah is undone. When we come face to face with the holiness and the glory of God, we will be undone in a good way. Listen, when was the last time you were undone? Aren't we all smug and insorted and in control of our lives and, and, and so busy and caught up with all the things that we, we care for? Isn't it true? That every single one of us, again, myself first, aren't we all using God as some side project to whom we maybe give a couple of hours every Sunday or or maybe 30 minutes every day morning so that we can then get on with the rest of our lives? Last time, you were undone by the holiness, by the glory of God. When was the last time we saw ourselves in proper perspective, finite, tiny, in the presence of an infinite God? How much we are undone is a good measure of how much we are experiencing the holiness and glory of God. Think about that. How much and how frequently we become undone is a measure of how much and how frequently we are experiencing the holiness and the glory of God. Roughly 700 years after Isaiah had died and had seen this spectacular vision of God, a bunch of shepherds had a very similar encounter. And that's the passage we read for the call to worship. 
allow me to just read that passage again and, and help us see similarities between Isaiah's encounter and the shepherd's encounter. I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 onwards. And in the same region, there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord and the glory of the Lord shone around them, similar to Isaiah. And they were filled with great fear, similar to Isaiah. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you see the patterns between these two passages, Isaiah 6 and Luke chapter 2? Both Isaiah and the shepherds saw the glory of God. Both Isaiah and the shepherds were undone. Isaiah said, oh, it's me. And the shepherds were filled with great fear. Isaiah saw the pre-incarnate Christ. The shepherds saw the incarnate Christ. But there was one big difference. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. But the shepherds saw a helpless baby lowly and lying in a manger. Isaiah saw glory and power and majesty and splendor. The shepherds in that manger saw poverty and meekness. The spectacular glory of the Lord, the spectacular Lord that Isaiah saw had now emptied himself into a helpless infant lying in a manger. The pre-incarnate Christ whom Isaiah saw in all his glory had emptied himself of all his heavenly glory to come and live among men and women. On this broken earth. To quote Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. This is the joy of Advent, that God emptied himself for your salvation and mine. That brings us to the third and the last thing that I'd like to draw for us, draw out for us from this passage. The grace to rise above rejection. God himself, the king of all the universe, humbled himself to be born as a baby to save humanity. But did humanity welcome him? No, we did not. We rejected him. John chapter 1 verse 11. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. A few days ago, 
um, when we were all reading through Matthew chapter one together, this is what Aji shared in her CBR reflection. She said, at his holy conception, Christ was initially rejected by his earthly father. All through his life, Jesus was rejected by a whole lot more people than those who accepted him. And then again, at the end of his life, as he was hanging on the cross, Jesus was rejected by his beloved father as he carried all of your sins and mine upon himself. As he lay dying on the cross, being punished by the father, not for any sin that he did, but for every sin that you and I and everyone who would come to believe in Jesus had done. Jesus endured rejection all his life, at his birth, through his life, and even at his death. After he died and rose again from the dead, all those who had accepted Jesus and had faithfully gathered in the upper room. We read that in the book of Acts. And those among the faithful who had gathered, they numbered only 120 people. Just 120 faithful. Alan Hirsch, in his book, The Forgotten Ways, estimates that by AD 100, 100 years after Christ, by AD 100, there were only 25,000 followers of Jesus. Just 25,000 followers, 100 years after the Savior of the world came. Uh, Roman historian Tacitus uh, his, he estimates that at that point in time, when Jesus was born, Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, the entire population of Jerusalem and the surrounding regions where Jesus lived and preached was about 600,000 people. So by a very, very rough estimate, 25,000 people accepted Jesus, but 575,000 people rejected Jesus. Imagine this, the God of holiness and glory had humbled himself to be born as an infant. And this God himself was broken for men, dying on the cross for our sins. And he was rejected. This is the thing that I would really like us to remember. There is no mission without rejection. There is no mission without rejection. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, all the glory that Isaiah saw, gladly emptied himself to become a baby. Gladly died on the cross. He came on his mission knowing fully well that millions would reject him. Just as God sent Isaiah to people who would hear and not believe, Jesus too came knowing that many would reject him. Jesus endured rejection. Hey, do we not reject him? Think about just the last week, the last month. How often have we just shut Jesus, every thought of Jesus, out of our consciousness? And we've just been so busy with our lives. 
choosing all the things, good gifts God has given us. And we rejected Jesus. Isn't it? The call to share the good news of Jesus, even in the face of rejection, was not only on Isaiah's life. The call to share good news in the face of rejection was not only on Jesus' life, but the call to share the good news, even in the face of rejection, is very much present over your life and mine too. We cannot be on mission without facing rejection. We cannot be on mission without facing rejection. If they rejected Jesus himself, as Jesus said, will they not reject us? If they persecuted Jesus himself, will they not persecute us? But the question is, how do we find the courage to be on mission to a people who would reject him? How did Isaiah find the courage to be on mission to a people who would reject him? And so how can we be on mission to a people who, who may very likely reject Jesus? And the answer lies in this very chapter in Isaiah's experience. Isaiah was undone by a revelation of God in all his holiness and glory. It was only when Isaiah was broken and undone in the holy presence of God that he found the grace and the power to go on mission even in the face of rejection. So, if we are not sharing the good news of Jesus, even in the face of rejection, it's because we have not yet been undone in the presence of God's holiness. We have not yet experienced this breaking in a good way. We have not yet fully experienced to die to ourselves that we might live for Christ. What do I mean by this being undone? What does it really mean? Simply this. We are trying to share the good news of Jesus in our own strength just as we are building our lives and our families and our careers and our finances in our own strength. See, it's the same pattern. It's not different at all. It's the same sin pattern in every one of your lives. My, my life first. Myself first. We are trying to share the good news in our own strength just as we are trying to build our families and our careers and our finances and our, uh, our whatever else we are trying to build in our own strength. And this strength in self is sin. It is a rejection of God. To be broken, to be undone is to see the holiness of God, to see our own sinfulness and to come running to Christ our Savior in repentance and in faith. Only in this brokenness, only in the state of being undone, can we be on mission even in the face of rejection. 
We need to experience this being undone in God's presence daily if we really desire to be on mission daily. This is the call of Advent. We need to be broken. We need to consider our lives worth nothing in the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus. I mentioned from Alan Hirsch's book that by AD 100, there were only 25,000 followers of Jesus. But through that century, believers were faithful. They were continued to remain on mission even at the face of rejection. We've talked about the intense persecution the early church endured. So much rejection, but they persevered. They were undone. They saw the glory of God. They ran to Christ and they persevered on mission, even in the face of rejection. As they continued, Alan Hirsch documents in his book, by the year 310 AD, there were 20 million followers of Jesus. 20 million. 25,000 followers of Jesus who in God's grace had persevered to be on mission even in the face of rejection had grown to 20 million followers of Jesus. We can overcome rejection. God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus is saving the lost. He is redeeming his elect. Whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the hardships may be, he is on his his story of redemption is unfolding and you and I are called to be partners in that story of redemption. We close just with this one last sentence. As the Son of God laid down his glory to choose and find us in a world that rejected him, will we lay down our glory for his mission? Will you lay down your glory for his mission? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, even as um, your Holy Spirit convicts us, We remember the joy of Advent. Christ Jesus was not born that we would continue in our inability and weakness and inadequacy, but he was born and he was crucified and rose again from the dead to change us, to transform us beyond even our wildest imagination, Lord. And so this morning, we want to come in one of the expressions of brokenness One of the expressions of brokenness which says, God, I cannot do it in my own strength. We need you. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, even now and as we move into communion, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? And would you lead us, Lord, into this place of being broken, of being undone in a good way, in the very holiness of God, that we might truly be empowered for mission. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen.